Oh, wow. That was different. That's Cheers. an interesting one. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Welcome to the Dad Life Podcast. I'm Chris. I'm Ryan. And this is the Dad Life Podcast. We're glad you could join us today. We got a um, new a special beer. We do. Put it that way. This is, a, that's why the, you heard the different uh That wasn't a crack of a can. That yeah, that was, that was real deal. It was all new. I don't even know what you would call that. It's a growler. It's a growler. Pop of a growler. That was that. That's what that was, ladies and gentlemen. We are drinking homebrew of a very special guest we have today. Absolutely. And if you, yeah, if you heard that third voice, it wasn't me or Chris. Yeah. This is um, our neighbor, and we've talked this neighborhood up quite a bit and how great it is. Absolutely. And I've been uh, having Mike in mind to has a guest for a long time. He is a retired F-16 pilot. He's a dad. He's a retired officer, and now he's an engineer. But I'm going to let him do all the talking on on that side of things. But he brewed us this beer in his in his garage, and it is called a bit nutty. Give us a, an intro on it, Mike. Uh, it's a it's a brown ale brewed with uh, pecans, both in the mash and in the finish. Um, wow, it's a it's supposed to be kind of just a little subtle brown ale. You can taste Easy the nut. Drinking. You definitely can taste the yeah. nut. Oh, yeah. It's it super, really good. super smooth. Yeah. It, it doesn't have any afterbite whatsoever. It's nope. just smooth and delicious, it's man. It's supposed to be just a nice, easy fall it's brown exactly ale. exactly what it is. We appreciate you bringing it, man. We are lucky. We're damn lucky. So how long did this take to brew? Start to finish? Oh, a week and a half. Week and a half? Week and a half, two weeks. Oh. Tell, tell, we may never buy beer. Tell again. the, you know... <laughs> The <laughs> folks that have how. no idea what that process is involved of in a quick 30-second, <clears throat> here's how you brew beer um, process. So I, I, a little more complicated than when I started, mm-hmm. um, but at this point, you basically soak grains in warm water, about 150 degrees, for an hour or so. It pulls the sugars out of the grains. You rinse those out into a pot. You boil it. You add your hops and... Any other flavorings as you go, depending on what you're trying for, for mm-hmm. about an hour. And then cool it down, throw yeast in, and a week or so later, you got beer. And you're boiling this in like a huge Do you have tank? a kettle pot in your garage? Uh, so I have a 10-gallon uh, stainless steel pot. It's okay. about uh, 18 inches across. Nice. About, That's a good size. Know, it takes up a, a lot of room, I'm guessing. Feet high. Yeah, not too bad. That's cool. Um, you know, you want to... You can get away with a cheap whatever pot, but you know it. You get some advantages of having. So I have a a nicer pot that's got a a, a valve tap, tap valve in it, so I can drain from the bottom, and it's got a very thick bottom in it, so I don't get any hot spots. And mm-hmm. um, there's a you know other little fancies like a sight gauge to know the volume that's in it and all that kind of stuff. But um, you know, I started as a college student with a just random. You've been doing this you know, a long time. Lot. Oh yeah, there was, uh, there was four of us. Uh, That's lived, so cool. Lived in a house when we were we were all twenty, mm-hmm. not twenty one. <laughs> That's 20. fine. Statue limitations and uh, well gone. Oh, I'm not worried about that. <laughs> the, uh, and we, we got really. T- we we're all uh, Air Force ROTC cadets. Okay. And we 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 just got tired of having to you know at the time we had a really good supply, but um, we we had to have somebody go you know actually our, our main supply was somebody that we knew that about once a month they would go to costco mm-hmm. and so we would tag along and they were 21 and they would buy a bunch of beer yeah and so we would have them buy extra and we'd bring it back to the house and we just got tired of it 
there's got to be a better way. Yeah. Well, you know, we were all at the University of Washington, and this is in the uh, – You could turn perfect. You could turn 21. That might be an easier way. <laughs> well, that's true, but that was like a year away. <laughs> we didn't want to wait like for it. that. I yeah. like it. Um, <laughs> so this is Seattle in the early 90s, and homebrew shops were a new thing. Yeah. and But they were there. And so we – Went down to a we went down to a Pike Place brew, uh, homebrew shop, which was also Pike Place Brewery, which still exists. Mm-hmm. And uh, we bought a kit, and we had no idea what we were doing. And the first batch was very scary, but after that, was it you guys just reading and researching yourselves and just totally winging it, or did you have some kind of mentor? We had a book. Oh wow! That had instructions. Ballsy. I still have that book. Really? Um, That's pretty cool, man. And there was a multiple phone calls to the homebrew shop. Yeah. Going, what did we just do? Is this okay? <laughs> yeah. You're okay. You're good. That's cool. It's actually it's actually a really simple process, especially especially when we started then. Sure. Um, because we didn't worry about grains that you know when we started it, we started with syrup that was you know the grains already turned yeah. into sugars. So all you're doing was boiling syrup water, throwing yeast diluting in, right? it down to the right amount, about five gallons, and throwing when it's once it cooled down, you threw yeast in it. Yeah, it was just that simple. That's pretty and cool. And then it made a lot of mess. You got done, and you had beer. This is at in someone's garage. In your first ones are in our kitchen. In your kitchen, it was a rental house. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't our house. <laughs> oh, None of man. us were worried about it, but we didn't leave any, you know, permanent. Marks because of brewing, but you have do you have like heat and flame, right? Oh yeah, like yeah. big. Yeah. <laughs> well, we just did. When you do it that way, you, you can get, totally get away with it on your stovetop. Okay, you know, especially the old school, you can get away with it on the stovetop if it's an old school, like electric. You know, the old school electric burners, okay. or if it's gas, if it's a glass top, which I've tried to do, no good. It's really tough because those just don't kick out the heat. Yeah, you mm. know that. Yeah, strike out those old those old you know coil. Oh yeah, those things kick out some heat. I mean, major heat. Like we had yeah. one growing up, dangerous. Yeah, we had both light things on fire heat. Yep, touch I mean, it with your hand when you think it's off heat. You had lots of melted spatula handles from those things. Yep. <laughs> My parents had a. I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't know why they had these. We didn't have them growing up, and when I was in high school, all of a sudden we had them. I don't know why. But we had these, they were burner covers. It was like these decorative, I remember those. like tin. Like tin ones, yeah. Kind of covers I know, yeah. over top of the burners. Yep. yep. They were supposed to make them look better or something. I don't really understand it. They usually had some really hokey flowers yeah. or something. Oh, yeah. So, like cross stitch, weird yeah, yeah, yeah. shit. One, one day, I don't, remember, I don't know what I was cooking. I was like 17, 16, 17. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was going into my senior year in high school. I don't, I don't know what I was cooking. Just cooking something. Yeah. I worked. I worked early at a golf course, and we get home in the afternoon. And I was make myself something to eat, and turn a burner on, thinking I'm cooking something, and it's not cooking. I realized I turned the wrong burner on. Uh oh. Well, that decorative burner cover is now like red. <laughs> it was white or flowery or something before. Sure. Now it's red, and not red in a, <laughs> a like good a way. painted way, it's but glowing, in a glowing, glowing way. metal way. And you know, when you're 16 or 17, you don't think things through. I oh, think no. I need to get this off of there. Grab it with your hand. I know now. You just leave it on there. It's fine. Yeah, just yeah. Turn it off. Mm-hmm. No big deal. But I think I need. To, I turn it off. I think I need to get it off there. I used, you know, 
Well, you some pot holders or something. Oh, I didn't burn good. myself, but I put it onto the Formica counter. <laughs> oh shit! It burnt a hole in the Formica counter. Oh yeah, and then probably threw to like the base. Of, well, like, I the realized under layer once, of that. once it started smoking, I realized what was happening. <laughs> and I got it back off of that onto the burner. Um, and then after that, we got this. Mike was grounded for many, many weeks. It didn't go over well, but we got yeah. this like cutting board thing that fit right there really well and covered that area. Oh, that's nice. So it looked like it, it belonged. was supposed to be there. And gotcha. that worked out well. <laughs> well, wow. I, we don't get- <laughs> I really don't know why anybody had those burner covers. Yeah, that was a strange thing. Well, we do it didn't, it didn't help People's, anything. People still put their couches in plastic. So I don't know. Weird yeah. shit. People crochet stuff and put it in a frame. It's lots of good I think stuff. Crocheting is magic, and I mean, my mom does that. Calm down. So does my family. Okay, don't get your feelings hurt, guys. <laughs> okay. Um, Anyways, yeah. Go ahead, Ry. I was just going to say we could talk about beer for this entire episode, but what I want to talk about a little bit is just uh, you're just your history, Mike, and not not so much your history, but obviously this is the Dad Life podcast. So obviously your dad. How did you get to this neighborhood? Obviously you you. You had quite the career in the Air Force. So, as always, thank you for your service for that. Um, but now that you're out of the Air Force, I've got a ton of questions I know that I want to ask. Just questions, I think, as on the civilian side that we I always pondered and never really had anyone to ask, especially a fighter pilot. And I've asked Chris and other vets that we've had on different questions. So, if you wouldn't mind, uh, if you go back, let's just go back to, I don't know, maybe 18 when you made that decision to, you know, go to the University of Washington enjoy an ROTC, right? Yep. In the Air Force. And then obviously that promises, what, four years after you do that, they pay for college and then you do four or you have to do four. Is that right? Uh, scholarship. Yeah. So I was a four-year full-ride scholarship to University of Washington. Okay. Um, it was a targeted one. So I had to do electrical engineering. Okay. As my major um, to get the scholarship. And uh, then I owed four years after that. Got it. But you did how many total? Before you retired? Uh, short of 21. 21, okay. Just over 20. And you finished in Salt Lake City? No, I finished it in Rapid City, South Dakota. Okay. And then the job brought you here? Yeah. So the the squadron here that I'm a civilian in. So my last assignment was uh, actually flying MQ-9s. Okay. Flying drones. Yep. Uh, only combat lines there. Uh, there was no actual planes at Ellsworth. They didn't have any. They just had a control station. Um, and, uh, but the assignment, the two assignments before that were both in uh, operational test, uh, for the F-16. So I've been doing, I've been doing test pilot stuff, kind of operational test pilot stuff. Um, and the, um, they write the software for the F-16 here at Hill. Okay. Um, and so I had worked with, um, people here quite a bit. And so when I was getting close to retirement time, um, or when I, was getting close to where I thought retirement might be happening. Mm-hmm. That thank you Air Force wasn't a clean <laughs> the way I thought it would be. <laughs> um, <clears throat> started just you know putting out feelers, and um, about the same time it was very evident that I was going to retire. Mm-hmm. Um, they the the guys here started recruiting me pretty heavily because at that point in time. This is way pre-COVID. Uh-huh. Um, getting a pilot with test experience who has an engineering degree was just unheard of. You couldn't get it. Are you the only guy with that? Yeah. Credential? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's pretty nice to be in that position. Yeah. The, there's some job security I can... Yeah. I 
Do you enjoy what you're doing now as opposed to flying? Yeah. As much? Yeah. Um, So when you're flying, there is a window when you are skill-wise where you want to be and you're getting to fly as much as you want to be. Everybody has that. And then you get older and you don't get to fly as much. Mm -hmm. And your skills go start to slide because you don't get to fly as much because you can't stay at that peak place where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Where you know you can be sure without flying <laughs> multiple times a week, of course, and not just flying because that's the other thing. And mine, my peak wasn't exactly a peak; it kind of went up and down. There was a little time in there where I was a well, I was there was a long time there that I was an evaluator pilot. Okay, and so I'd go chunks in time where all I would do would be check rides. You'd just be in the back seat. No, you'd be in another plane, but all I'm doing is chasing somebody flying instruments. Okay. You don't really get that tactically proficient when you're watching somebody fly an ILS mm. on a clear in a million beautiful day. No. So, I mean, so you have this little window where you can be at your best when you're still allowed to fly that much. And then you get older and you get to fly less and less. So, when I left the F, so my last assignment was the 85th Test Evaluation Squadron. It's kind of. Not many other, there's only really one other place in the Air Force or one or two other places in the Air Force where you can do what we were doing. Okay. We, I gave a check ride to a guy where we flew for Blue Air. We had an eight ship. It was four F-16s and four F-15s. And we had the guy that it was getting the check ride had arranged. And it was a test also for radar and other stuff. Mm-hmm. And he had arranged 20 adversaries. And we had tankers mm-hmm. and we had AWACS. Okay. And we just went up and we just fought off bad guys for an hour and a half. And What's an AWAC? AWAC's uh, airborne radar. Thank you. So we, <laughs> so we had gas. You're right. I'm glad you're, and, sorry, you're asking those questions. Because I know exactly what I know you're you talking do. about, but I'm, I'm glad. So Thank we you. had eight guys that were good guys, and we had recruited guys, some of the guys from Eglin, some guys from Tyndall. We had Alabama Air National Guard. That we said, hey, you got extra sorties. Can you launch them up and be bad guys for us just to give us somebody, something to look at? And we proceeded to just rotate off of the tanker, get more gas. Because as a fighter, when you're just going full afterburner, you know, shooting guys down, you run out of gas. Pretty quick. Pretty quick. Give me an idea of what, yeah, how fast, how would fast that is quick. Oh, you can do it in like 15, 20 minutes. Whoa. Or you can fly across country and take two hours. Holy shit. See, that's amazing. I had no idea. You, you go from like cruise level of burning like, you know, three or 4,000 pounds per hour of gas mm-hmm. to 120,000 pounds per hour of gas. That's uh, that's quite a different you rate. Get rid of a lot of dead dinosaurs. Um, <laughs> Holy hell. Real fast. <laughs> get that's insane. Dead, dead so if you're actually in, you know, I don't know, what would you call the theater of war, right? And yeah. you're actually fighting. You're not up in the air that long, unless you refuel. Yeah, you re- you refuel a lot. That is, I had no idea. So the first night of OIF, don't know what that is. Uh, Iraqi, Iraqi freedom. Free. Thank you. Iraqi freedom. Iraqi. Okay. So OIF. We're talking OIF. March of 03. Okay. Um, shock and awe. Yeah, I know that one. So that sortie, we flew. It was an hour. We took off at a Prince Sultan Air Base, Saudi. Mm-hmm. Um, we flew an hour up the corridor. Past all sorts of countries um, to the south, like to the uh, border between Saudi Arabia and Iraq. Mm-hmm. We got gas there. And it's about a 
half hour drive up to Baghdad. Okay. We supported all the stealth bombers that came in and dropped right after Shakhanov. Yep. And we were probably on station for maybe a half hour. Maybe. Wow. Um, and then flew back to get gas. That's another half hour <laughs> to get gas out of there. And we didn't have a lot of extra in that. Yeah. Um, cause when they start shooting at you, you use up a lot of gas moving yep. out of the way. You're such a calm demeanor kind of a dude. When people listening to this are listening to a fighter pilot, um, they might be surprised to hear someone that's so, um, I don't know, reserved and not Tom very, Cruise. Very, very calm. That's their only experience with fighter. Pilot. Um, and I will say this from my perspective, I've only ever been in the backseat of an F-16, and I can say from my experience that that is a, it's a athletic event. So what people might not understand or even know that to fly a jet like that is, is every muscle in your body, and you are smoked, tired after flying those types of missions. Am I correct in saying so? Oh, yeah. So en- engineers in the area that I work, mm-hmm. they, they work really hard to get them sorties and they have a they have kind of a, a system and pipeline set up to get them to floor you know down to Eglin mm-hmm. um, with the test guys that they talk to all the time mm-hmm. to get in their back seats sure and I've told the guys if some random occurrence happens and they're like well we gotta let him fly no I'm don't, good yeah just say no. no I don't want one yeah I, you, you don't want to fly thousands of hours in the front seat yeah. I don't need to get in that back seat right I flew a lot of people in the back seat. You get sick of it, right? I hated it yeah. because it wasn't fun for them most of the time. Why? Because it's hard. It sucks. Um, There's like half the people. Well, so, okay. So I, I, do, I understand what you're I saying. divide every, I, I, it's like you divide it up in thirds. Third of the people, it sucks the whole time. And the minute <laughs> you take off, they're like, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing I've ever been a part of. Yeah. Then there's this other third that it's the same experience. But they're going to convince themselves and tell you that this is the greatest thing ever. But you're listening to him going, this is the worst thing you've ever been a part of. But you're going to tell yourself that this is, this is great. the best thing I've ever done. And then there's this other third that actually do enjoy it. Yep. Yeah. So I always hated that other two thirds because I'm like, I'm so sorry. I know you've built this up to be awesome. Mm-hmm. This is this is hard. It, it is. sucks. I mean – your body's not meant to do this. I mean, we can't do this. Like, just when I would take leave for a couple of weeks, you come back and that first sortie back's like, okay. Is it yeah. just the G forces that are just killing you the it's, whole time? It's everything. It's, you know, it's your inner ear. You know, yeah. it's, you know, it's the G forces. It's your inner ear. It's just all of this. Your body's just not made to do that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what they're doing is absolutely incredible. It, it, you get done and, you know, the first couple sorties back, it, it it takes you just get back into it. And when you're doing it a few times a week, then it's no big deal. Yeah. But if you haven't done it in a while, it's like just a kick in the junk. I mean, it's just you feel like crap. I mean, I've seen people. We had a <laughs> we had a maintenance lieutenant. So we had this, what appeared to be an awesome program when I was a lieutenant at Kunsan, where maintenance, air traffic control, anything mm-hmm. remotely touching flying operation. We get them uh, fan flights. There's two type type of flights you can get in the backseat: us incentive flight or fan flight. The incentive flight, those are harder to get. They usually have to be an award winner or something like that. Because okay. in an incentive flight, that flight is for you. Mm-hmm. Yep, you're in the backseat, and that pilot's going to do whatever you want. Okay, as much or as little as you want. I flew the U.S. Ambassador to Greece 
We took off and he's like, you got to make this look good for everybody. So I did a vertical takeoff and I did like the smoothest one I could possibly do. <laughs> you know, just yeah. kept it on the deck till about 500 knots and I took, put it straight on in. I'm like, I'm sorry, sir. That was all you're going to get. He's like, I'm okay. I'm okay. Okay. And then we crew, <laughs> and then we did like, <laughs> then we cruised, like did a, we did a castle tour in Germany, just oh, up nice. and down the Rhine looking at castles Yeah, until we were about the right amount of time. We'd That's come back awesome. and land. Nobody knew any different. Yeah. Because he didn't want anybody to know. He's like, I can't handle any of this. Yeah. Like, you got you got out one pull-up on takeoff, and I will make it all work. Yep. He's like, okay, cool. Nice. That's an incentive flight. Yeah. He'll do whatever you want. The A fan flight fan is. fan flight is, you're, you're in the back seat. Whatever's happening is what, happening. Yeah. You're whatever just, training mission is there, you're there. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Um, we had... It's interesting you put it in that perspective because I was told I had an incentive flight, but it was definitely a fan flight. He didn't get to say what happened. No, <laughs> I was along for the ride. Well, and, and it might have been because our first uh, sortie got canceled on the ground. It also, could've... and then I just got scheduled with somebody else. You never know. It, it could be a lot of things. Mm. It also could be your pilot was a dick. He, he don't think he was a dick. He was just. He he was an old timer, and he had done enough, and you could kind of tell, like, well, all right, I got another yeah. punk air traffic controller in my back seat. So they flew his mission, and, and most that's guys it. go out of their way, especially on incentive, to really, what do you want? Yeah, let me do, let me make this special for you because sure. I want to. But on a fan flight, you try to do that, but there's a certain level of it's a training sort. You there's stuff going on. You you yeah. know, the things you have to do. Mm-hmm. And we had a she's a maintenance maintenance lieutenant. In Kunsan, um, and uh, she got a flight. She was really excited for it, mm-hmm. and it was a uh, BSA. It was yeah, basic basic surface attack. So mm-hmm. we went to the Cooney Range. I wasn't on this sortie. I was there for the aftermath, and uh, so it was it was bombing, mm-hmm. which you'd think dogfighting is the hardest thing. Yeah, it actually probably isn't because you're just under G the whole time. Okay. So it's you just pulling G's the whole time. No big deal. Because well, once you're doing it, it's you're fine. doing it. Big deal. Because it's the same thing. Sure. So bombing is you pull a bunch of G's to roll in, mm-hmm. drop the bomb, pull a bunch of G's to come out, you turn, you turn, you turn, pull a bunch of G's to roll in, mm-hmm. drop the bomb, pull a bunch of G's to pull out. So it's it's constant rolling and turning and pulling. And after I guess it was like the third or fourth bomb drop because we had little thirty pound practice bombs that are dropping. Yeah. And uh, about the third one, the pilot's like trying to talk to her. He's like, Jen, you okay? You okay? She's not responding <laughs> She's not, anymore. He, no. he can hear her breathing. Oh, that's so good. that's good because there have been incentive riders. We've had one one or two incentive riders die. Are back you there. kidding me? No, they yeah. shut off their oxygen and never took their mask off. Both of them. She's Whoa. breathing. He's hearing her. He's hearing her breathing and groaning and stuff. Mm-hmm. But he's, not, he's not getting any response. He's like, okay, I can still... He was an instructor. He's like, I, I can still instruct this and just stay up here and yeah. just circle. I can get away with this. Okay. Pass out? Uh, <laughs> what's consciousness? Um, I don't know. Get she, question. She's not responsive. Sure, sure. So anyway, he stays up there. They finish their mission. He goes back and lands at Kunsan. And I didn't see her until we, they got her back into life support. Mm-hmm. But ev- evidently, they had to get like the, the firemen to the plane. To, to pull her out of the plane to like lift her out, like the full up, like yeah, she's not responsive, like dummy. She's oh, she's talking and stuff. They pull her out. They got her into life support and just laid her down. And the flight doc's like, she's okay, just leave her here. So she's on like the cold <laughs> tile of the life support, just <laughs> laid out okay. there. 
sleeve her. And this is the thing she's like wanted she to really do. She wanted to do it. She's excited about it. Of course. Is she that, built that, it up so much and then. Yeah. And, and then that's what I hated died. about Incentivize yeah. that kind of thing. Cause that's happened at times. You wouldn't get yeah. that kind of response. Yeah. But then again, I also once it once it was really fun. It's <laughs> banged all them. So I was a Rod's cadet. I went to the University of Washington. I yep. made a good choice and went to a college and had fun. Met my wife. In college? Yeah. It was a good thing. Okay. Um, I did not go to the Air Force Academy where you don't have a life or meet girls. Right. Right. It's pretty rigid. Pretty yeah. intense. Um, but we would get – there'd be some ROTC at times, but it would be mostly academy cadets at, mm-hmm. at the active duty bases, and mm-hmm. they would always bring them to the fighter squadrons, and they always got backseat rides. Okay. Um, <clears throat> walked in one day to a to the brief. We're supposed to brief these guys. Hey, this is what we're going to do. And I walked in, you know, I'm a fairly senior captain at the time, instructor pilot. Mm-hmm. Walked in, and they're, they're kind of giggling. What? Mm-hmm. What's up? You know, I've been a fighter pilot a long time. I'm kind of up for anything. Mm-hmm. You know, say anything to me you sure. want. You can call me whatever you want. I don't care. <laughs> like, hey, you know, he, he's in your back seat, right? Like, yeah. He doesn't think you can uh, make him sick. Oh no! That's a bad that's thing a to say. Well, son of a bitch. Let's see if we that can make that the happen. Dumbest thing. Yeah, that's a bad thing to say. Silver, so, because the, you don't even have to try. I mean, I know that the little secret How of the F sixteen is, yeah, it'll pull nine Gs. Oh. But I don't have to pull nine Gs. But you can because nine Gs sucks and it hurts. <laughs> Normal people, <laughs> sucks. It, it really hurts. does. It feels I, like a house is sitting no on you. No doubt, it's, it sucks. It's heavy. <laughs> it's heavy. So normal people so it, you know when you're a f- you know full of flying all the time yeah I pull three g's and i don't even do anything mm-hmm. i don't do a g strain or anything but normal people they hit like three g's hits you and you feel like an elephant sitting on yeah, you. yeah it hurts I'm like okay cool right, well, wait was he i have to know was he sitting there at this time oh yeah yeah and he's Looking at you saying you can't make me sick. He's not backing down on it. He's not just, he's not talking it up. His friends are talking it up, but he's not saying he's not anything. Saying anything at no point in counter. here, even in the air, I get him up to the top of the airspace. I'm so you don't think I'm like I can make you sick? He didn't say anything. Like, okay. Oh, this kid's dumb. So, dumb. As we start, I said, <laughs> not only am I gonna <laughs> I said this to him, not only am I gonna make you pass out, yep, but I'm not gonna pull many G's to do it. So I just got to the top of the airspace. I pulled five Gs, and I just sat on five Gs. And then once I got it laid in, I said, and I'm going to talk to you while I do it. Because <laughs> I could pull up five Gs. And, and have a conversation. Yeah. Oh and, I just, and I got to the top of the airspace, and I just started the slow spiral down oh, of the airspace. We didn't even make it, like, two 360s, and he's doing the full-up funky chicken, passed oh. out. Can you see him? Yeah, how no, do you see your backseat? No, but you can hear him. Okay. He, is, there's no reflection to, to the back no. at all? No. You don't see? You not, just not in ours. It, in like T-38s and stuff, they have some mirrors and stuff, but oh. not in F-16. Okay. Wow. Um, so you can, you can hear, because he's got, I, I, you, you always, whenever you have a backseater, you tell them, they don't know all the switches, so you right. you make sure they have hot mic on and yep. so that that's there. Um, that's amazing. So you can hear them. And there's distinct sounds when somebody goes funky chicken on you. Yeah, yeah. Because their helmet keeps hitting. <laughs> yeah, they're passing out. They're making <laughs> weird sounds. and Yeah. Like, and cool. What do you want to do now? <laughs> what did he say to them? Yeah, what happened, when he, what happened when he landed? He said nothing to you. No, no. Uh, hey, thanks wow. a lot. Had a great time. <laughs> Appreciate idiot. your... I enjoyed you know. myself. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hey, will you pour another for me as well, oh, sir? Yeah, me too. 
So I have questions. Thank you. Lots more. Yeah, questions. I've got a ton of. We're going over time for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Um, the, I'll let you go, Chris, because I already asked mine. Thank okay. You. So most um, obviously, Air Force pilots have an absolute uh, affinity or desire for aviation. Where did you get the idea um, to go to school first to be in ROTC and then ask? aspire to be a pilot and how did you get your slot because i think you could tell me the percentages a lot better there's like out of a million people you know a half a percentage of a person gets to fly a plane and you know in your situation so so uh when i was in so my brother's my brother he's uh my older brother Mm -hmm. um he has often said that he only knows two people uh that uh have ended up doing what they wanted to do as kids. And one of them is his buddy, Grinley, who um, he's a, he's a PA, uh, PR guy for the Mariners. Nice. He grew up wanting to work for the Mariners. That's awesome. He's a PR guy. And he made it. Yeah. Yeah. That's Shout awesome. out PR um, guy for the Mariners. Uh, Grinley, great dude. Right um, he's Shout out Grinley. Got right us tickets to games. Um, <clears throat> the, uh... Daily pocket. Daily pocket. Um... And the other one was me. Uh, so this was from oh, you young this early when on I was then. like in third grade, I want to say. Okay. I declared that I wanted to be a ninja fighter pilot. Ninja, ninja fighter. fighter. It was very into G.I. Joe. Okay. I like it. You remember the... You're damn um, right. Kung Fu Grip. They had a ninja fighter pilot, and I wanted to do that. Uh, evidently, when you're uh, uh, 6'2", 200 pounds, you're not a ninja. Mm-mm. And you're... This really, was one of my questions. Yes, really questions. not made to be a ninja. What? So there is no height limit for pilots? There is, but it's like 6'5". Six, five, six, oh, six, five. I thought it was like 5'11". No, it's, it's like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, something like that. They're not okay. jockeys. <laughs> They're not small people. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I'm only 6'1 no, now. But still, at 6'2", if you would have told me before this, All and you said 6'2", I would have been like, no way. Yeah, no, no, it's like 6'5", I want to okay. say. Something like that. It's yeah. pretty tall. I wasn't the tallest, but I mean, I was on the upper end, yeah. Fighter pilots are in general are short. Okay. Um, and that was just kind of always there. And so I applied to the both the Air Force and Navy Academy and Air Force and Navy, excuse me, ROTC. Um, Air Force ROTC came through first with the full ride and <laughs> was still in the process Yeah, for yeah. the academies. Um, similar time frame. My, my brother was, who's three years older. I went, he was at University of Puget Sound in Tacoma, Washington. And I went and stayed the weekend with him and his fraternity. It uh, changes a young man's kind life, of, doesn't uh, it? Focused me that I wanted to go to a normal university and not an academy. Yeah. Yep. They're a lot of fun. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't, <laughs> wasn't a lot of questions. Changes your nope. path. Like, hmm. This looks way this better than fun. waking up at 4 a.m. and running. Yeah. Well, yeah. And getting yelled at all day. Which I only have to do for an hour a day? And yeah. I can do this for the rest of the day? Yeah, for sure. Let's go <laughs> do ROTC. Yeah, so, high school, you play shots for pig. Playing pig, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you, but you put the, I mean, the the motion in process there to, to do what you wanted to do from when, when you were a kid. From yeah. ROTC happened. You went to University uh, of Washington, who are the Huskies. shout out Huskies, Huskies, Huskies. Um, yeah. and you graduate college, and then what? Um, so, in the process, in there, just to throw this in there, because you brought up the love aviation. Yeah, I actually don't care about flying. 
Okay. I like to blow things up. It was a lot more fun than just plain flying. I was, just happened to be good at flying. Um, I don't have any civilian flying experience, although I am a CFII. What's that? Uh, civilian flight instrument instructor. Okay. That's, <coughs> that's pilot talk. Is that a new one for you? Controller, I, I don't know any I have of that like, stuff. I have like, if, if you ever control a Cessna, somebody flying a Cessna, I guarantee they have more flying time in a civilian than I do. I just don't, I have none. I flew in, well, I'll, I'll give this to, to begin with. <clears throat> in a couple of big ways, I'm a terrible pilot in that I'm afraid of heights and I get really motion sickness. <laughs> Holy shit. Motion sick. What? Um, I want that written down. I want that written down too. I'm afraid of heights. pilot said those two things. And right I now. get motion sick. But so, I can pull five Gs with and I can have a conversation. <laughs> so what? I can. Well, yeah. But if I let someone else fly, that's the problem. Oh, so you're in control. learning flying uh, a Cessna. That makes sense. I wasn't in control of it as much. Yeah. Both the instructor and just you're getting bounced around so much in that stupid little piece of shit plane yeah that you're you're not in control it the same way yep um and beginning pilot training was the same way i i puked every day Ooh. um it sucked did you ever want to quit oh hell yeah every day every day but yeah then i have to be an engineer i didn't want to do that but now i am now so <laughs> so during your four years you had to make that decision of what you wanted to do when you served your four or you did that yeah, after yeah, college. Yeah. So while you're a cadet, you're while you're a ROTC cadet, you're a normal college student. Yep. You know, um, getting a degree in electrical engineering is not a small amount of time. Nope. So you have you have the ROTC stuff added on top. But uh, I worked on some civilian time flying, and there was some motion sick stuff. But I kind of just brushed it off as oh. It'll, It'll pass. be fine later. Yeah. No yeah, yeah. I'm just not getting to do it that much. Mm-hmm. So once I get there, it'll be fine. Yep. Um, the uh, And yeah, you just apply for it. And okay. I got to go to uh, Shepard Air Force Base for pilot training, which is uh, Euronado Joint Jet fi- uh, Pilot Training in Jet, uh, which is unique in that it's only like a quarter of it is U.S. The rest is all you know European mm-hmm. Uh Let's, let's step back a couple of steps. Only reason I want to stop you is because I know a lot of people that have aspired to be a pilot, regardless of what they wanted to do. There's a certain select people that aspire to be a fighter pilot. That process is so stringent and tough. How did you get the slot you got? How does that process so look? So in you- ROTC, it's actually really simple. I mean, it's honestly just grade point average and where you're finishing in your class. I thought it had to do with <clears throat> and did the you meet next the, step well, <clears throat> after that. And point. also, well, to be a pilot, period, mm-hmm. is just that a, po- that part. Pilot yes. flies just GPA and a uh, um, where you finish in your class. And did you meet the physical requirements? Mm-hmm. Um, and those change all the time. Yeah. When I started, it was twenty twenty vision, basically no issues. By the time I was getting my s- slot. Um, one of my best friends who is uh, actually lives in Salt Lake right now, um, flies for Delta. Well, he did until mm-hmm. COVID. Yeah. Uh, now he's hanging out at home. I'm not sure what he – I, I got to – I kind of – You might want to call him. I got to message Marshall. <laughs> find out what he's doing. His, Live wife, on air. his wife's a pharmacist. They're, they're, they're fine. Okay. They're, they're okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> he's very much in the – he can just wait it out for six to nine months and – I wish that be, was They'll be problem. fine. Um. <laughs> so, University of Washington is like one of the top medical schools 
in the nation. Okay. So Marshall was my roommate in college. Uh, Carrie was my wife, Jen's roommate oh, right in college. On. That's cool. Uh, oh. She finished number two in her class. Wow. Damn. It's a pharmacist from the University of Washington Medical School. So boom. She's, she's, she's the smartest fine. of all of us. Yep. Yeah. And, I'd uh, say so. So yeah. He, he can wait out Delta until they need him back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anywho. What a bummer of um, a problem. But he didn't have 2020. And so by the time he didn't know when we started whether he would get a pilot slot or not because he didn't have 2020. Mm-hmm. By the time, because of just the ebb and flow of post Gulf War and this and that, by the time we were up for it, they were completely accepting that he was, it was like better than 2040 and he corrected 2020. Yeah. Um, and that comes and goes. And there's all sorts of other things that. You know, they come and go. But it, if you meet the medical, whatever that is at that point in time, and GPA is good, that's all it. So you, go to, so you got a pilot, pilot train. You got yeah. the pilot train. Now you want to. Now you got to prove it. So now you want to get to. So yep. that's where going to Shepard and Egypt at that point in time was key for me because the I had to compete for that. So I was I was second in my class. You, you weren't a good pilot. Uh, well, no, in, in, in <laughs> no, I'm call. just joking. I'm joking. No, it wasn't. That's, and that's the point. <laughs> that's the point. <laughs> I was out of, out of, out of uni- University of Washington. I was number two out of my class. Two out of your class of engineers or ROTC? Uh, cadets. Cadets. Got it. The number one was, uh, uh, um, not a pilot. So I was uh-huh. the number one pilot, um, coming candidate. out of Washington. Got it. And so I went to Shepard Engine. Okay. Which at the time was a guaranteed fighter. So Whoa. you already knew. Yep. Isn't that isn't that seldom? They don't do it anymore. That's what I mean. But at the time, that's what it was, which is really good because the first plane you fly. So now the way it is, and the way it was at all the other bases, you could end up at. Yeah. So my, one of my that same good buddy Marshall was at Vans. He didn't know what he was going to get when he got there. Right. So you fly your first six months in at the time was in the T thirty seven. Now it's the T no T six. Um, you fly in that, and then depending on how you do in that first six months determines track you go in after that. Sure. You go fighter, tanker, helicopter, or whatever. Yeah. Well, at the time when I went through, Shepard was just fighters, which you was really just good because I it. sucked that first six months. It was horrible. <laughs> well, you're throwing up all the time. Oh, yeah. Every day. Yeah. I've actually, like, ruined my esophagus. I'm a bulimic. Even uh, I don't look like it. You know, I could lose, like, I don't 20 look. pounds. <laughs> It's stuck right here. What your instructor's like, Edwards, so, stop. So my first instructor was a Canadian. He was an asshole. Canadians are always polite. Yeah, they're supposed wasn't. to be nice. Huh, interesting. Um, <laughs> I wasn't doing well with him. And one of the natural things they do if you're not doing well with someone after you bust a couple times, they move you on to a different instructor and make sure it's just not a personality conflict or yep. whatever. Okay. So I get to the next guy and um, I flew. I got kind of sick, but I didn't give up plane. And we got down and we, you know, we landed. We get into, we're debriefing. He talks and he opens up, you know, it's Air Force. Everything's driven by regs. Mm-hmm. So he opens it up. He goes, okay, this is the AFI on air sickness. Let's read it. Uh-oh. There's an AFI on air sickness. Oh, well, yeah. What's AFI, guys? Air Force instruction. Air Force instruction. And regs. It's a regulation. regulation. It was the late or early 90s. We had to become softer. And so we didn't have regulations. We had instructions. Because ah. Instruction sounds way better than a regulation, got doesn't it. it? Don't you feel better no. about it? No. But I got it. <laughs> I got it. It's softer. We'll hug later. Yeah, um, okay. Let's take a timeout. So. <laughs> anyway. 
Back to sickness. so he opens this up and he he's like, let's read it. I'm like what the hell? This you know, I got sick again. I didn't give up the plane, but I didn't sick again. Give up the plane meaning you're turning it I didn't over to him. Yeah, he kept control. Of the plane. I kept flying mm-hmm. and puked all over himself. Mm-hmm. No, no, we're not going to talk about what I did. But okay, I did not give up the plane. Okay. Um. So I, I have questions about this sick thing. You're getting sick every day while you're in flight. Yeah. And where are you? Yeah, where's that go? Where are you, uh, you know, excreting this? Well, your mask? so that's what we read about. Oh, active air sickness or air sickness period mm-hmm. is defined by part of the definition was that I gave up control of the airplane to the instructor. Mm-hmm. Active air sickness was I took out a bag and I puked in it. Mm-hmm. Passive air sickness was I had to give up control, but I didn't puke in a bag. Ooh. So he. So my instructor goes, so today, <laughs> you puked. I know you did. You might have made a mess in your mask, but you didn't give up control of the airplane. You kept flying. You didn't do anything wrong while you were flying. So there's nothing I can mark down on your grade sheet against you because you did not meet the definition of air sickness. Yep. And you didn't do anything wrong. Like, okay. Do you understand what I'm telling you? If you never give up the control of the airplane, you were never air sick. Right. So from now on, when you're flying, if you never give up control of the airplane, you, you never, never are sick. sick. Oh, okay, okay. That was a churn- turning point. Yeah, you. yeah. So I mean, I, I had instructors watch me puking while I was like in the flare landing. Wow. <sighs> and it's filling up your mask. Yeah. If you have whatever. time. Okay. So, oh, my next question would go: You yeah, did a lot sir. of cleanup. Oh yeah. Um and. And yeah, my wife would see me out coming home and you're always messy. Well, and it's Shepard, you know, it's a T thirty seven. There's no air conditioning. We yeah, no, it's always literally hot. have the thermometer in the cockpit. It was hundred and thirty degrees oh, in the cockpit. With puke. You would mm-hmm. you would open the canopy. Once you cleared the runway, you would open the canopy in July in Shepherd, Texas. And it was cooler. Oh, it was just cold air hitting you. <laughs> sure it was. <laughs> the greatest feeling ever. Is, oh, that 100 degree, 100 degree air feels so good. Yeah, yeah. So your flight wow. chiefs really didn't like you a lot, though. Or did you clean up? You had to well clean it up, them? right? If you puked on the instruments, you oh, cleaned I didn't, it up. No, no, no. I never touched the plane. I was always very cold. No. Maintenance, we were friends. Oh, that's, that's good. Cool. Right uh, on. That's good. I would never... Yeah, Leave you don't want to piss those them. guys no. off. Yeah. And life support, it would be, come on, guys, give me the alcohol wipes. Let me fix this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, no, that's what I got through. And what I – it got better in 37s. And then uh, we went on the fighter track, which all of us went on to the way it was at Shepard. Um, I figured out real quick after a couple weeks because in 37s, you're learning to fly. And so the instructors are flying a lot. Mm-hmm. When you got to 38s, the fighter track, they expected you to over, most of the instructors expected, I can just tell you how to do this and you should be able to do it. Sure. And I'll just sit in the back seat and yep. watch you do it. And I figured out real quick, I'm not getting sick. I'm feeling fine. Yep. And then I would go with another. What do you think that was? Instructor who was getting on the controls all the time. That's when they were in control. And I was like, whoa. And I went, finally, I figured it out and I went to my flight commander and looked. This guy, he's on the controls a lot. He's fine. He's a great instructor. I'm not anything against him. Mm-hmm. But I, I I, get sick if someone else is flying. You have me fly with any of these other half a dozen instructors yep. that just sit in the back seat and let me do it. And I've flown with most of them. And they'll tell you, I'm fine. I can do it. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Sure. Um, and then I don't get sick. 
And that's why another reason I didn't like having backseaters. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to let them fly. They'd get me sick. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I was a thousand-hour instructor. You put an incentive rider in the back, I let him fly. Blech. And I'd be like, are we done yet? <laughs> that's <laughs> oh, so interesting. That's crazy. Did you know many other pilots in your same, you know, physiological mm-hmm. condition? No. Were you one of kind in that way? That's no. interesting. Because I, I haven't I haven't met that many fighter pilots, but not many. Have no. no, no, no I don't know anybody else that. That's very I know lots of them that were afraid of heights. <laughs> a lot of us are afraid of heights. Really? Yeah. It's a common thing. Heights are cool. It's, but I, it's I'm super afraid of heights. Yeah, and I think I don't know. There's uh, my my wife's a therapist. I should know the name of this. But there's a psychological like there's like a name for it of if I'm attached to the ground in any way, mm-hmm. my my fear of heights comes out. If I'm not attached, like, yep. attached to the ground, it's fine. I'm the same way. Doesn't bother me. Yep. That makes sense. So, so like in water survival, we, we had to do water survival down at Pensacola. Mm-hmm. They had us parasail because mm-hmm. they want us to do a parachute landing into the water. Mm-hmm. So they had us with the crappy Air Force parachutes. And they strung us up. We were about 500 feet up and behind the speedboat. <laughs> and we had to, Such a safe operation. <laughs> nothing could go wrong. Uh, <laughs> we had to hit these two handles that cut us loose from the plane mm-hmm. or boat. And then we just rolled the parachute. Well, while I was attached to that boat, I was white knuckled, just this was not okay. Yeah. The second I cut loose from it and I was just hanging from the parachute, it was like, oh, okay, this is cool. Yeah. It's no a, big deal. That, that is an it's completely condition. relaxed. That is, yeah. Hit the water, got in my raft. You were fine. Took a nap for the next half hour till the boat picked me up. Unreal. Huh. Um, Learned so much. I have so many more questions. Oh, we have a ton. All right. Do you guys want to take a break? We got a ton. Um, Let's just keep going because I think we could do like a whole nother episode Mm -hmm. with Mike and just do a two part and we'll keep this one at an hour. So it gives us like nine minutes left. Um, One question I have, but it's already kind of been answered. You already answered it when you were kind of explaining how the training worked and how many flight hours you needed to stay top of your game. You're going to be a two parter, Mike. You're going to be the first two parter. You did this to yourself. Very interesting. Um, you killed us with the motion. Yeah, but after the second hour, I'm really boring. And then it's dead. <laughs> it's just dead air. Two hours and then it's just dead air. Um, no, every, cause I work from home, um, and I'm on, I'm constantly on Zoom meetings and on the phone. It's just part of my job. And of course, when the jets are doing training, you, obviously you can hear that, right? Yeah. And so in my mind, I'm always like, guys, like every day, do we have to like <laughs> every <laughs> fucking day? And now I get it because if there's that small window, of if you're not at the top of your game, tactical training every day, I get it now. Super. Although, I have a question. Why the fuck can't you guys go higher and then fly out to the training zone at a higher That's blame him. altitude? That's his problem. Is that your fault? That's his fault. Are you the asshole that, that keeps these guys so low and that they're like, hey. hey and he knows like, it. They're hey guys, like, wait a minute. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to punch it right over this neighborhood Give me a so favor. it shakes their whole house Give and they can't hear anything. Give me a favor. I'm ready. When you look outside your house. I'm ready. Not the jets flying from the base going out that way. Yeah. The ones flying over your head going this I way. I know which way they come in. Okay. So. Go above them. <laughs> do you think Get every single one of them can go 20,000 feet? He already said he could. Guess what? Pull nine. Guess Ooh, what? If he's going 20,000 feet, guess what he's doing? He's going full afterburn. It's going to be just as loud. You're not going to avoid it. Dude. All right. Sorry. Is that re- why they're so low? They have to stay out of the air traffic from yeah. you guys? Yeah. Thanks, Chris. They got to cut under the. uh, Not thanks, Chris. No. Departure. Thanks. That's you. No, that's you. Your fault. Oh, you're right. 
Sorry, buddy. <laughs> so I apologize. I will throw in this. Okay. Just to help them out. When you see them fly over, realize that an hour before that, they left the building, their ops building, out to the plane. Mm-hmm. A minimum, probably an hour and a half before that, they started briefing, and probably a half hour that they got to the squadron. So th- when you see them, three hours before that, they got to the squadron, okay. minimum. So when you see them fly over at seven in the morning. Mm-hmm. They were there. They got okay. there at four. Yeah. Or earlier. I've never complained. I did. Not, that wasn't me complaining. I was just wondering <laughs> because <laughs> I'm on the phone with someone in like China and I'm like, hold on. I love it. Just wait one second. The 35s are really loud. They're real loud. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I'm not complaining. I, lo- I love I, where I live. I'm, I'm I just wondering. I'm numb. I have not lived without it in 23 years. Oh, yeah. We didn't. It, I don't know so what it's like. To in Rapid City, we, we lived in South Dakota. We did not have it over us, and it was weird. Because it was a different had, type of base, right? Well, and we, were, there was no we were pretty far away from it. It was a B-1 base. Yeah. They flew a little, but we were way away from them. Yeah. We didn't hear them. And it was weird. And even at Eglin, we were, we were in Niceville on the opposite side of the bay from the base. So we didn't hear them that often. It was weird. Like five assignments before that. We were literally in the traffic pattern. It was, yeah, I mean, the, my house at Spangdalem was under the perch point. So it was the spot in the pattern where you started to turn to land. That's and, loud. Um, the perch point. <laughs> Why isn't that? I don't know that term. Um, so you come up initial, you break the spot where you turn back to land. We that's the perch point. That's the perch for, for us. Oh, we just call it the break. Yeah. Um, and I would, especially if it was evening. Mm hmm. I would always pop it into Afterburner and back out. Yeah. Just give them a little was, extra. And well, I know. My, my uh, kid's down there just to like say, I know those pilots. I know those pilots. I was just saying He's, hi. You can tell the guys that do stuff like that when they go over and the guys that don't. It was my way. Of, it was waving yeah, high. It's waving high. And pour out a liquor for your home. There's a, yeah. That's all it is, man. I have known some pilots that will, you know, tip their wings as they go over their house. Oh, no doubt. So, unofficially, you're not anyway, allowed to. So you've told us unofficially a little, they didn't do that. A little, <laughs> you gave us a little education on the brewing of beer, where you went to school, how you started your career, a lot about pilotage um, in in the beginning of that. But the name of this podcast is the Dad Life Podcast. You are a dad. You're a dad to who? How long you known your wife? Tell me about your children, and we'll wrap it up from there. And we'll talk lots more about your uh, different assignments, your your time overseas. Um, at war and whatever the hell else we call it. And the beef between air traffic control and fighter pilots. <coughs> and, and lots of that. And the difference between <laughs> no beef. There's no beef. Oh, there's no beef. Oh, well, Chris, you're wrong. There's no beef. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're always wrong. I, I think he's mistaken. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh, the quick, uh, I met my wife. I was 19. She was barely 18. Uh, students at University of Washington. Cool. Uh, we got married. She was a senior in college still. I was Damn, barely commissioned. That's incredible. Uh, not on active duty yet. Um, was working two jobs at the time um, before I went on active duty. And uh, we had... Um, Shout out, Jen. The, God bless you. We did not have kids through pilot training. My first assignment was at Kunsan, which was remote. I met just me. Mm-hmm. Um, she was visiting Korea. Well... Actually, 
she got pregnant with our first uh, when I was the escort for my best friend died in Kunsan. I was his escort home, uh, and I stayed in. I was in Seattle for 48 hours, so we can nail down exactly when Whoa. Andy was made. Uh, wow. And then, uh, oh, that's a lot to digest right she, there. She didn't know she was pregnant when she came over to Korea to visit and me. you guys had a, a month or so time? later. Well, it was a month or so later. She came over to visit. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be getting close to me leaving. Mm-hmm. And uh, she didn't know she was pregnant. Guess what she was? Uh, and then nine eleven happened, so she was there a little bit longer. And okay. Oh, it happened while she was in Korea oh, visiting. Yeah. There were there was a bunch of wives there because it was summertime. Wow. You know, it was yeah off school, and there was a bunch of wives there, and they were all locked down. Holy shit! All kept there for a while. Mike, wow. how long did you? Um... We were all in full battle rattle, going like out to dinner, and my wife's in shorts and flip flops. How often did you go up and fly from Kunsan to Osan during that period, close to nine eleven? Uh, just well, before. Weirdly enough, 9-11 happened in the middle of a phase one, in the middle of an exercise. Uh-huh. So the planes were stripped off to nothing, and they had just been put up with full combat. So we normally fly around with just training stuff. Yeah. Missiles and such as. And uh, 9-11 happened right in the transition when they just loaded up, full up real combat, real actual live AMRAMs, AM9s, bombs. Everything. everything. And so all the planes were loaded up with full combat everything. And I knew 9-11 happened because Jen and I were sitting uh, on my bed in Kunsan watching TV. Yeah. We were watching Friends. Yeah. And my flight commander walked in and said, you're on crew rest. What the hell are you talking about? Yeah. I was in Korea when it happened. It was dice. That's why I asked. I might I might have been, I might have talked to you when, oh. when we were in Korea together. Um, <laughs> and uh like, what are you talking about? He goes, switch over to the news. So he goes, you're in crew rest. You're going to alert it, whatever, in the morning. Sure. We're probably launching. Because mm-hmm. at the time... We didn't know who it was. Yeah. And North Korea was the big, one of the biggest sponsors of terror at the time. Yep. So we're like, okay. Shit's By the time real. I got to the squadron, the next day they downloaded all the weapons and yeah. they're like, that. this isn't who it was. Mm-hmm. And actually, and we started planning, okay, how do we get from here to Home. Afghanistan? Yeah. Because we were the closest fighters to yep. Afghanistan at the time. Well, relatively speaking. Um, so that was my first. And he came out once we got to Misawa <sighs> right after that. Uh, oh, and then we had our second. So you have Andrew as your oldest. How old is he? Andy. He's, uh, 18. 18. Senior? Yep. Wow. And then my second one's 16. He's a junior. He's Mason. He was born there in Misawa, uh, in Japan after that. So both of them were born in Japan. Uh, then we went to Germany. And so Andy is American made. He's the only one of my kids American made. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I like it. Uh, Mason is both Japanese made and born. Okay. Wait, technically your oldest is American made. Yeah, he's American made. He's the only one that's American made. He's the only one American made. But Japanese born. But Japanese born. Okay. My my second son is Japanese made and born. Yep. We think. We're pretty sure. Yes, pretty good chance. Um. My daughter is adopted. She is Chinese made and born, 100%. And my youngest, he is German made. Wow. But American born. Wow. Damn. Uh, That is a. It's an international family. That's a. Yeah. That's a cultural mixing pot. That's awesome. Yeah. He was born in Florida at Eglin. Okay. Um, We got to dive into all that in the next episode. Stay tuned for part two, everybody. Thanks for sticking around this long. We hope you tune in the next time to hear the rest of what did you retire as? 
Lieutenant Colonel. Okay. They're here the rest of retired Lieutenant Colonel Mike Edwards' story. We appreciate you coming to the Dad Life Podcast. Until next time, stay positive and love your life. Later. Later.